Our scripture reading this morning <clears throat> comes from Mark's Gospel, from the first chapter, verses 21 to 28. And I'd like to read that text to you this morning from the Common English Bible. Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Suddenly, there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One from God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out from him. And the unclean spirit shook him and screamed. Then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves, what's this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. And right away, News about him spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. There are some topics that elude discussion. Places and times we don't go to at the supper table. Growing up in my home, there were three topics we avoided at the dinner table. We avoided any discussion about the Vietnam War. We avoided any discussion about racial prejudice. We avoided any discussion about the number of beers my dad had before dinner. Some things we just don't talk about and we go quiet at the table. The hot button, the hot button topics of the 60s in white flight, Oklahoma City, or the topics of 2017 in the Inland Empire. We find ways to keep our conversations free of controversy whenever possible. So did Jesus, up to a point. The Gospels are not filled with first century hot button issues. We have Paul to thank for that. But only up to a point. The Gospels have a, have, have, a, have a way of putting us squarely in the middle of uncomfortable subjects. And sure enough, our Gospel reading today is one of those. The first miracles of Jesus in each of the Gospels, the first miracles in each of the Gospels are different. John claims first prize because he says in his gospel, this was the first miracle Jesus did. Turning water to wine at the wedding in Cana. And we all think, what a wonderful first miracle for Jesus. He celebrates the glories of wedded bliss and family. And what a wonderful Jesus we've got. He supports family values. Matthew, his discussion about the miraculous begins with Jesus not doing miracles in his confrontation with Satan in the wilderness. 
Jesus refrains three times from performing the miraculous. And when he finally gets around to a healing miracle, it's Matthew chapter 8. We are way past the beginnings of the Gospel as Jesus heals a leper. In Luke, the first miracles aren't even Jesus's. They are the unplanned surprise pregnancies of an old woman, Elizabeth, and a young virgin, Mary. Luke doesn't even get around to Jesus doing miracles for quite a while. But Mark, ah, Mark. Different kind of gospel, Mark. Mark doesn't start with the beauties of wedded bliss and Jesus turning water into wine or Jesus overcoming Satan in the confrontation in the wilderness. No, no, no. Jesus starts with exorcism. <laughs> when we think of exorcism, if we must, it is usually framed by the 1973 film directed by William Friedkin with Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Linda Blair, and Jason Miller. And we hear tubular bells playing in our heads. But Mark's story of exorcism has nothing to do with that novel turned into a movie. Mark's Gospel records 13 miraculous healings by Jesus. In four of the 13, the healing is an exorcism. In chapters 1, 5, 7, and 9, Jesus encounters a synagogue attender, a cemetery dweller, a little Gentile girl, and a little village boy, who each, according to Mark, have an unclean, impure, or evil spirit. And Jesus heals them. You would think that if Jesus really had great power to heal all manner of problem and ill in society, he would have marched to the palace in Caesarea Philippi and laid his hands on Pontius Pilate and healed him from being a jerk. <laughs> but he doesn't. An unknown guy in the back of the synagogue on a Sabbath, a guy who was crazy out of his mind living in a cemetery, a Gentile girl, not even a good Jew, and a little boy. They get Jesus' attention in this most ultimate of miracles, this, this confrontation with evil and its removal from the life of an individual. In this text, the story set in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And, and I just have to say, I took that picture. <laughs> that is the Capernaum, the ruins of the Capernaum synagogue in the Middle East, in, in the Nazareth Hill Country. And on one of my recent trips to the Middle East, <laughs> preachers love saying that. <laughs> I took that picture. In that synagogue, this story is recorded. 
Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath in his hometown synagogue. And everybody's amazed by his teaching. Now, Luke frames that amazement because Jesus' sermon is from Isaiah 61 and it upsets everybody. So the amazement is more viscerally angry than Mark records. We don't know why Mark and Luke record this story differently, but they do. And Jesus is amazing his neighbors, not with his declaration about the coming of the kingdom and doing justice, but with his authority. He was teaching in a fundamentally different way. The Frankly, most Second Temple Jews in Palestine in the first century, what we call the first century in the West, they'd grown cynical with religion. They'd grown tired of it. If they went to synagogue, it was because that's just what you do. You go to synagogue. It's, it's a village, it's small, what else are you going to do? You know, the movies don't run until evening, so you might as well go to synagogue on the Sabbath. But that it had power and meaning and impact in their daily lives, not so much. The, the synagogue life of Second Temple Judaism had, had reached a kind of vacuousness, kind of emptiness, kind of dullness. It had become, yeah, whatever. Recite to us again the 613 commandments, would you please? The synagogue is a place to spend an hour with your neighbors. That it would be a place of spiritual power. That it would be a place where the words would leap off the scroll and change our lives? Yeah, not so much anymore. Until Jesus spoke. And the people in Capernaum were amazed at what they heard. It wasn't the same old, same old. It was new and alive and transformational. And kids ran around while Jesus talked too. And it was wonderful. And so Jesus' teaching began to inspire the synagogue community. Now, if, if Luke's story is to be read, it inspired them to want to throw Jesus off a hillside. Mark's Gospel tells a different story about that. I don't know what to do with that. Two different observations about the same event. What's important is Jesus agitated the community. Instead of synagogue being a place to just kind of come and be a lumpen mass for an hour, kind of enduring spiritual talk so that you could have coffee and tea later, 
Jesus agitated them. He stirred their imagination. He made them ask questions about their walk with God and their life with each other. He challenged and encouraged and welcomed and inspired. And suddenly, as I envisioned the story from the back of the synagogue, it could have been anywhere in the synagogue, somebody stands up and starts shouting at Jesus. Now, if you've ever had the privilege of preaching, you probably have not had the privilege of somebody standing up and shouting at you. Ah, but I have. (laughs) Uh, I've had people clearly stoned shout at me. I've had church members shout at me. I've had some of you shout at me, okay? And some of you want to, I know. But this guy stands up and starts shouting at Jesus, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? You're Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. The the confrontation bounces back and forth between bravado and terror in the voice of this man in the synagogue. And Jesus isn't putting up with it. He simply says, come out of him. And there was a confrontation, a scream and a shout and and release. And the synagogue wasn't quite sure what to do with that. The buzz was that even the demons tremble before Jesus. Now, in our very secular worldview, in our God of the gaps way of life, we look at this passage and we go, "Mm, how quaint, how how nice, How, how, how interesting. Clearly, this man had some kind of mental illness that if he'd only had access to his medications, everything would have been okay. We, 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 God of the gap it. We, we, we lift this story out and we say, well, in the modern world, this would have been handled differently. It really wasn't an evil spirit, was it? Come on. That doesn't, that doesn't really happen. It just, he was agitated. And, and Jesus comforted him and it went away. problem with that is that it's not really what the text implies. The text implies a confrontation. And Jesus establishes himself as a, as a speaker of and a doer of authority. He speaks in such a way that the synagogue listener is challenged and agitated and begins to wonder anew what his walk with God ought to be like. And he acts in a way that takes on the bedrock of evil in a society and challenges its manifestation to flee. And it does. 
And that story goes all over Galilee. Which was not part of Jesus' plan because the Jesus in Mark's Gospel is the Jesus that keeps going, shh, don't tell anybody about this stuff. Not this one. The mission of Jesus has now officially gone public. There is this guy who speaks and acts with such authority, such decisiveness, such brilliance that we can't help but be stirred. And so, Jesus speaks and acts with amazing authority. The Greek word authority, exousia, means several things, but I think in this case it means the power of influence. That Jesus exercises influence in such a way that people are shaped and molded to begin to think and do things differently. In short, Jesus calls for conversion. Jesus' words influence a jaded, cynical, oppressed people to reconsider the possibility of faith. To begin to wonder if maybe the stuff they've heard about God, all that stuff they've heard in, in the synagogue on the Sabbath, week in and week out, maybe, maybe there is a kernel of truth to it. Maybe it can make a difference in my life. Maybe it is possible to live in a way that honors God and brings joy. Jesus' words agitated a whole congregation to think about the possibility of faith in their lives. Jesus' acts influence a manifestation of evil to depart and to give this previously silent, secret sufferer a new hope out of his brokenness. Jesus' words and his actions carried amazing authority. Authority to make the Scriptures clear Authority to heal the brokenness perpetuated by evil. So what do we do with that? We don't like authority very much. We, we chalk it up to Cartman to, uh, to sort of be our, our imprimatur of authority. You will respect my authority. And authority. Thank you. Appreciate that. We don't, we don't like authority very much. We don't like language about authority very much. We, we in the West, we're democratic. We're individualistic. We'll make up our own mind. Thank you very much. We don't much like external authorities placing expectations on us. And so... I think in the midst of our not caring much for authority, this passage puzzles us because it's what Jesus has. It's what Jesus offers. Not Cartman, Jesus. 
Jesus makes the mission go public here. Not with, not with fanfare, but with authority and word and in act. To heal people and defeat evil. And so this morning, some questions for us to reflect on. What is it really about authority that troubles us the most? How is Jesus' authority unique? Is it even unique? Do we believe that? Or do we simply believe that Jesus is just another authority figure invented by religious systems to keep us in our place? But, if Jesus' authority is unique, if He really can speak words that agitate our hearts and release us from the brokenness, the bondage of evil in our lives, if Jesus is truly that person, how will we live in the face of that? How do we publicly live into that authority? How do we publicly live out that authority? How do we live as if Jesus matters? As if He truly agitates us instead of bores us? Now, I have to take my own share of ownership as a preacher. I have been guilty of making Jesus boring. But the challenge for us as a body is to get past the preacher every so often and pay attention to the story. The story that calls us to consider a Jesus who can stir our imagination and set us free. That Jesus has a unique authority to shape our lives. N.T. Wright, in his book, Mark for Everyone, says this, when the church learns again how to speak and act with the same authority as Jesus, we will find both the saving power of God unleashed once more and a similar heightened opposition from the forces of darkness. Similar, but not the same. The demons knew Jesus and knew He had come to defeat them once for all. <laughs> they can still shriek. But since Calvary, they no longer have authority. Brothers and sisters, this is the Gospel for us today. The authority to have a life's imagination stirred, to be freed from the powers of evil that plague us, doesn't exist in, a, in and among ourselves. It exists when we glorify the Jesus who we say is Lord of our lives. And when we own that, that's when transformation begins. Community, a wonderful gift from God, doesn't do that for us. Community creates a supportive environment where that can happen. But it's actually the living power of Jesus showing up in our lives and agitating our souls and challenging our assumptions and moving us beyond the everyday experience of our lives 
that gives us the power to overcome the forces of evil. Our authority to live good and holy lives, to love God and our neighbors, to make a difference in the world is grounded and rooted and centered in Jesus. As we welcome His words, as we embrace His actions, as we follow Him into the quiet spots we dare not talk about, we let God's mission go. It becomes public. And so let us talk about that which He has called us to talk about. Let us talk about that which we have rendered mute. Let us act with boldness. Let us hear the words of Jesus and be agitated. Let us follow the Jesus who exercises the demons and breaks the power of evil in our lives and in our society. Thanks be to God for His Word.